And today I have a special guest, Sean Atwood. And he is a uh, very notable figure. He's got a big YouTube channel. And uh, he went down on an ecstasy ring here in the United States. I interviewed him once before. I was in uh, the United Kingdom, uh, uh, not this summer, but the summer past. Uh, and we did a 15-city tour. And, and Sean hosted some of the events. And he was terrific. we become good friends. He never spoke about his jail experiences. And you're going to hear some stuff today. Believe me, you're not going to want to miss this. For all you young people out there that ever think you want to be tough guys on the street, okay, you want to avoid a county jail experience. Trust me. I've had many myself. Sean is going to tell you what his experience was like. You want to avoid all of this stuff. You don't need it in your life. You know, I always say this. Life is tough enough when everything is good. You want to do the wrong thing, act like a silly person, put more baggage on your shoulders to carry around. You're going to have a very tough go at life. And before you know it, years pass and you look around, you say, what did I do with my life? Stay on track. Do the right thing, you young people. And for those of you that are middle-aged, it's never too late to get yourself back in shape. I'm proof of that. You know, my life started to turn around in my mid-30s, late-30s, you know. It was a whole different experience. But here I am at 72, and the better for it. So you're going to enjoy this meeting with Sean. I am coming back to the U.K. Can't wait to get there. But without getting, uh, giving too much away, let's introduce my new guest for this next sit-down, Sean Atwood. Sean, great to see you again. It's been about a year and a half since we uh, were together last on the tour that I had in the UK, which was absolutely fantastic. I loved every moment of it. And uh, the good news is I'm coming back and it's going to be bigger and better. I think we're doing up to 15 cities. And the best part for me is that you're going to be hosting all 15 of them because the last time, uh, the few that you hosted, for me, they were the best. So I'm very excited to get back there. So uh, and thank you for, uh, you know, for coming forward on this. It's going to be great. Oh, Michael, it was a great honor to host them. Some of my best friends were sat at the table with you and they said to me afterwards, it was a night they are going to remember for the rest of their lives. So for the people of the UK, come to the tour. The tickets are on Eventbrite. There's a link in the description box below this video. And like Michael said, 15 locations, two in London, Liverpool, Manchester, Glasgow, two in Ireland, and on and on it goes. It's not every night you get to meet someone who is characterized in the movie Goodfellas. Well, I got to tell you, Sean, I was, uh, you know, I had visited the UK a few times uh, prior to the tour. Uh, there were short visits in and out, um, and I didn't get to spend too much time there. But this time, I was there for about six weeks. And I got to be honest, I was overwhelmed with the reception that I received from people there. They were just so warm and, and just great. I mean, we loved every minute of it. And, um, you know, taxi drivers, I walked into a taxi and, and somebody said, Mike, you don't have to pay me. Just give me a signed copy of your book. I mean, it was that great. People would... They were coming out of the pubs as I was walking down the street and pulling me in for a drink. We just had a blast. People were just absolutely wonderful. And I'm so looking forward to coming back. And, you know, I love the VIP get togethers that we have and the meet and greets and taking photos and doing all of that. So uh, and I got a few more things to talk about that uh, occurred in the last year and a half. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great tour. I'm looking forward to it. And I have to say this for all you people in Liverpool. We had such a great night at the cave. I'm a big Beatles guy. And I'm telling you, Sean, the cover band that was there that night, if you close your eyes, you thought it was the Beatles. It was just such a great night. And we had a great time. London was terrific. Belfast, I love. This time we're going to Dublin also. 
Um, Scotland was wonderful. So, I mean, I just can't wait to get back. It's going to be great. A huge thank you to Ella for asking me to host these events. And Michael, perhaps I can explain why us Brits have got a particular affinity for all things Mafia. As a young person, I remember sat on the sofa in my house watching The Godfather with my dad. And then years later, it was Casino and then Goodfellas, which you were represented in. So for us here to actually meet someone from that lifestyle, because that lifestyle, it, it, was, it never existed here. You got a lot of blowhards and thugs and hooligans, <laughs> but nobody, you know, when they met you last time, they came to me afterwards and they were saying, you know, all these fake hard men, you meet someone like Michael and he's just an absolute gentleman, polite, he's got the best manners, but he was the real deal. He doesn't need to put this act on. So the responses I'm getting from the people who are aware of the tour are that they can't wait to see you when you come back. Well, it's going to be great and uh, really, really looking forward to it. So I think it kicks off March 16th, if I'm if not mistaken, in London. So, uh, and then we go straight four or five weeks, whatever it takes us, and uh, it's going to be a great time. So, looking forward to it, people. See you there soon. It's less than three months away, so uh, ready to go. And Sean, the last time you and I spoke uh, online, you know, on YouTube, um, you had had your issues here in the United States, an ecstasy ring. I know you uh, rub shoulders with my friend Sammy Gravano now. I heard a little bit about that. We talked about it. Uh, but then... Uh, where we left off, you were just about out of that. You weren't doing the ecstasy anymore here in the United States. You were in business. Things were moving along well. And then all of a sudden, one dark morning, there was a knock on the door very early in the morning, something I was very familiar with throughout my life. And why don't you pick it up from there? Because I know you had some, uh, um, what should I say, some, some fun activity with Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who really made a name for himself here in Arizona. I never had the uh, pleasure, I would say, of meeting him, thank God, but you certainly had your, uh, you know, activity with him. So why don't you start from there? Yeah, so we left off in part one on your channel where I had run this ecstasy ring in competition with the Gravanos. And shout out to Sammy the Bull and his son Gerard. We've just done a massive documentary that's coming out on a huge platform in America later this year that's going to blow people's minds. His crew got arrested about a year before they came for us. Now, I'd quit the importation. I thought I got away with it. It's a bit naive to the statute of limitations. I was sobered up. I was back in college studying Spanish. I was up early one morning trading the stock market. This is in Scottsdale. All of a sudden, bam, 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 knock on the door. I jump up from the computer, look through the people. It's blacked out. I hear Tempe Police Department, we got a warrant, open the door. I'm wondering whether it's the cops or people pretending the cops coming to rob me. So I look through the window, whole complex is surrounded. Marksmen, more boots coming up the stairs, bam, 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 bam. I go through to the bedroom to my girlfriend. We're like, what should we do? Right, we better let them in. We walk halfway through the living room, then just boom, <laughs> door just flies off the hinges. Hands above your heads, get on the ground now. Don't effing move. The detective hoisted me up by the cuffs when I, you know, after I'd been squashed. Gets in my face and he's like, English, Sean, we finally got you. 
<laughs> you're a big big name from the rave scene and later on you know there was thousands of pages of discovery uh, that was my first meeting with him face to face but in the um, discovery this guy had been sitting next to me in restaurants following me around putting trackers on my cars he'd been trying to get me for trying to get me for years did uh, did joe arpaio actually show up at that he was there no, this was the, the lead detective on my case oh, out of Tempe. Oh, oh. Yeah, and he, he's been interviewed as well for this documentary we've got coming out. Um, so we got, um, I start screaming at my girlfriend, I'm exercising my right to remain silent. I'm exercising my right to remain silent. And they dragged me down the stairs outside, um, threw some clothes at me, put me in a police car. And I remember it's like, I'm looking out of the desert. He's playing 98 KUPD hard rock. He's got the chewing tobacco and the aviator sunglasses on, <laughs> straight out of Electric Guide in Blue. And I'm thinking, my karma has finally come home. This is the consequences of my, my actions. I'm about to feel them big time at that point. Well, you know, Sean, I want to tell you something. I, I went through that, you know, I had seven indictments. I went through that at least five times. And, you know, they always come 536 in the morning. And then I went through it three or four times as a kid with my dad. And, you know, I know you, you, you really, you know, talked about that experience. But I'll tell you how, how uh, maybe terrifying it could be. You know, my family right now, my wife, my daughter's in the house. If that uh, doorbell rings early in the morning, like 6, 6.30. It could be an Amazon driver. It could be the gardener. They won't answer the door. And this is 30 years later. They're afraid. They say, you know, what's going on? You know, they're afraid. That's how traumatic it was for my family members. And I'll never forget. But uh, when they do come, yeah, they come, you know, they surround the house. They come with shotguns, the, the uh, bullhorn blaring. The whole neighborhood wakes up. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's really a sight. It really is. So... Yeah, my girlfriend was so terrified after that. She had to sleep at her mum's for weeks. She was traumatized. Yeah. And what happened next was they took us to Tempe Police Station, and I thought they were just coming after me. What I didn't realize was the cops were targeting us all as a group of main co-defendants on the first day. Remember last time I told you a lot of stories about Wildman, my big maniacal friend, bodyguard, who, who died yes. a couple of years ago. Um, he got arrested at the same time as well and they were interrogating my girlfriend in tempe police station and he walked past and because i kept her completely separate from my illegal activity so she didn't know anything and they were really grilling her and they were saying to her you're facing serious time serious charges you need to tell us you know everything about this and that and he kind of like broke free from the cop shoved his head into the room and went Serious charges, my effing ass. <laughs> don't listen to these daft. Um, I don't want to swear, but yeah, he said a lot of swear words. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a it's a harrowing experience, no doubt. So, so what happens from there? Did you ever get out on bail, or did everything just start, or or what? Oh, that was just the beginning of it. I was fighting my case for almost three years, Michael. So the the, the first day, we are. Uh, in Tempe Police Station, and then we go over to what was called the Horseshoe, Sheriff Joe Arpaio's Jail Intake Center. Now, there's 13 of us as the main group of co-defendants in the first raids. There ends up over 100 of us over time. So in this bus, going to the intake, 
there's wild man and there's his girlfriend wild woman who's a mad liverpudlian a scouser as you know now yeah. shout out to scousers so she's on the bus as well as we arrive at the intake you know what it's like the new arrestees are waiting to go in people have been tasered been in fights with the cops there's drunks there's homeless people there's gangbangers there's people high and there was some women in the line going in and the men were heckling them now half of our co-defendants getting off the bus were women and when wild woman got off the men started started yelling at um expletives at the women that were our co-defendants now wild man i think i mentioned it last time he had red dots in his head telling him to hurt people from when he was a young person yeah. And whenever he would commit a violent act, he would, his face would remain completely calm, but one eyebrow would go vertical. So he's watching all these fellas yell at the women with us and wild woman, and the women's heads are all down and they're intimidated. They're not enjoying it one bit. And I just see the eyebrow go up. So as the redneck guard is yelling at him to step down from the van to get out, he just stays on the top step. Bear in mind, Michael, when he died, he was 29 and a half stone and six foot two, so, I don't know, 400 pounds, something like that. Wow. So he's on the top step. He's been up for weeks on crack and meth, so his eyes are completely blood red. He's got a Viking's beard, and he leans back, and he goes, you lot, disrespecting our women. I'm going to be in there with you all in a minute, <laughs> and I'll have any of you. And he goes, you think I won't? And then he tilted his head back even more, widened his eyes, and he just went, <laughs> and veins were popping out of his head, and they all just completely shut up right away. <laughs> That's a great story, yeah. yeah he was a good you know, man. He was a good man to get arrested with. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and I don't think people, I mean, fortunately, people that haven't had this experience. You know, getting locked up and then going through processing in a county jail, uh, there's nothing worse than that. It's just, it's just horrible. Uh, and I obviously have done that a few times also. And yeah, I've seen that scene described the exact same way. And yeah, there's women, men going through. The guys, you know, half of them are derelicts who got picked off off the street. They're used to going through this process. Some of them enjoy it. It's unbelievable. They're going, it's like old home week, you know, for them. But yeah, I could just imagine it's good to have, you know, a guy like that around to put everybody in order. Yeah, and it helped a lot because in the horseshoe, it's like a horseshoe formation. Uh -huh. You go in at one side and you come out the other, but they leave you in there for days. So you're in these holding cells. First, you go to a woman in a plexiglass window. She's like, have you got lice, hepatitis, AIDS, all this. She's just screaming at you. Then they strip you down, um, take your belt off, take your laces off. You go in, and in these cells, it's like subterranean. This is the Sonoran Desert, almost 50 degrees, UK temperatures, 120 summer America. You don't know what time of the day it is, except for when the heat rises, and everyone just sat sardine in the wall-to-wall um, -wall people there's a toilet someone takes a crap everyone has to roll their shirts up over their faces yeah. and then you know gangbank once something crips something street gang comes in and another street and then it just kicks off on site right away and then the guards run in they drag people out and in the hallway they've got this thing it looks like a medieval torture device called a restraint chair and it's like this tilted 
black, um, back, black sea. And you see people strapped in there and they even put hoods, spit hoods over their heads and they're like this in, in, in these chairs. It's like something from Dante's Inferno. Yeah, you know, you know, Sean, it's amazing too. I, was, I spent a lot of time in LA County Jail when they were trying to indict me on a thing. They took me up, took me from the feds, brought me to LA County. They had me in a hole for a while, but um, you know, when I used to walk through, you know, you're shackled and tied down. They used to walk us from solitary to go out to get a visit. We used to go through the prison hospital. You would thought you were in Vietnam at the time. You, you could not believe it. And I got to tell you, Sean, I don't want to be mean, but I saw people in there. They were like aliens from another world. Like, where do these people actually live? You know, it was almost sad in a way, but they, they just... I don't know where these people are, where they find them, but what you see in a county jail, you don't see anywhere else, really, in society. It's unbelievable. It's, it's a tough experience, that whole thing. I spent about 11 months in the county, and it was, uh, it was tough. So I, I know exactly what you're going through, for sure. It's such a transitory environment. You've got people constantly coming in and out. Nobody knows what the sentence is going to be yet. So right. the uncertainty weighs on everybody's minds and they're all just aggressive and looking to fight each other. So after we got out of the horseshoe, I was classified medium security in the beginning, Towers Jail. Wildman ended up over there as well, but he was sent to a different tower. So as soon as they got to that jail, that's when the lower level of the Aryan Brotherhood people come up to you, the skinheads, with the swastikas and Hitler and all this Nazi stuff on them. And they're like, hey, Wood, we want a word with you. Get in that cell over there. And you know you can't say no, or this is just going to smash your head into the wall. So I go into the cell. They come in behind me, close the door so it's almost closed. Biggest one gets in my face. He's like, what are your charges? What are your charges? Now, I've read it. It's like continuous criminal enterprise, conspiracy, leading a crime syndicate. I have no idea what any of this means. I'm new to this. So I yeah. say to them, I don't know what my charges mean. This is not a good answer. Now yeah. they've got me against the wall about to attack me. What do you mean you don't know what your charges mean? Are you a chomo? Are you a chomo? I didn't even know oh. what a chomo was at that point. Didn't even know. They couldn't tell from your accent that you weren't a cholo? <laughs> <laughs> In the end, they make you pull out your charge sheet. So they read my charge sheet and they immediately calmed down. They saw my bail bond was $750,000 cash only. And they respected that. They were like, damn, who did you guys kill? And I'm uh -huh. like, no, we were, just, we were just throwing raves, ecstasy. We didn't kill anybody. It was all very chilled out. Then they explain all the rules I must follow or else the whole gang will attack me. If someone calls me a punk, a bitch, or hits me, I must fight them on the spot or else the whole gang will attack me. I must take showers or they'll attack me for bad hygiene. Can't go make you friends with the guards, they'll attack me for snitching. Can't sit at the tables with other races, they'll attack me for that. And on and on and on and on and on it goes. And I later learn they're constantly looking for people to attack because that's how they earn their tattoos yeah. and rise up in the gang. It's called putting in work to earn your political ink. And to be a full member of the Aryan Brotherhood, you got to murder someone for them in the jail. Yeah, no. I'll tell you, you know, in L.A. County, how bad it was. There was guys that were in there, and half of them don't understand their charges. They, you know, they have a public defender that really doesn't care what's going on with them. They appear because they have to appear. They don't even understand the charges against them. And after spending months and months and months not knowing what their outcome is, they want to get out of the county so bad because it's such a cesspool. They start stabbing people so that they can get charged and go to the prison. 
You know, I know when I was up in a law library, and they don't know who you are. You could be mafia. These people have no clue, right? They have no clue. I had to, when I was on the phone with the attorney, I had a phone book on me, you know, in my chest so that in case somebody came up behind me when I wasn't looking, they'd stab the phone book instead. I mean, it got that bad in there. County jails in, in America, I don't know how they are in the rest of the world. I guess they could be even worse. But here, man, no fun whatsoever. So what happened? How long did you spend in the county? So my county jail time was 26 months. My book about that is called Hard Time because like you said, everyone who'd already been to the prison system was saying, this is hard time, county time. Yeah. I'd rather do two or three days in prison than a day in here. Absolutely, absolutely, no doubt about it. And I speak from experience, without a doubt. You don't want, you don't want to be in a county. Yeah, so I was working out with a La Victoria gang member, a Chicano. This is in the, the earlier weeks. And the neo-Nazis, they come out the door and they're like nodding at me and they're like, we want a word with you, Wood. And mm -hmm. I look at the, the sniper, his name was, he's like, yeah, go talk to your people. So I go, I go and talk to the, these AB guys and they're like, take a look around the day room, Wood. And I'm like, yep. Do you see any of the white boys working out with the other races? Mm. I'm like, nope. You've got a lot to learn, Wood. Now go finish your workout. Wow. So it's like you got the gang rules, you got the guard rules. It's all in conflict, and you got to get through it somehow. Let me ask you: Were they intrigued? You know, because you were a Brit. You know that. Uh, how did that sit well with them or not? You know, at the time, Michael, I I played the Brit cards of the max. Yeah. Everything that was British that had gone viral on American TV, Monty Python's Flying Circus, Clockwork Orange, they were asking me questions about it. But a big thing that helped me was that even though Wildman was in a different tower from me, he quickly established a name for being a maniac. And I would see him when I went to the Catholic Mass or one of the church services. Now, there came a point where the Italian Mafia took over our building from the Aryan Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. And they asked me, who did I want in my cell? They couldn't move Wildman in because he had a do not house. The prosecutor didn't want us together. Right. But in the second, the second group of co-defendants, they didn't have a do not house. So I put these guys in me and one of them, he's dead as well. His name's Joey Crack. So every night these Italian mafia dudes would come in and Joey Crack's telling them stories about Wildman and they just sat there mesmerized. So they arranged to meet him at Catholic mass. Now, this is how tight they had it before I tell you the Catholic mass story. The head of the Italian mafia guys, we'd all be locked down at night. He'd be outside smoking with the guards, giving them orders. When we had shakedowns, he would have the next staff that he corrupted bring us all our stuff back. And we knew the shakedowns were coming in advance. He had wow. his girlfriend coming as a lawyer and he was getting legal visits, unsupervised. Yeah and having sexual relations with her. Do you remember who he was? I'm not gonna say, cause he is okay. in Supermax prison right now. Oh, he is, okay. He, yeah, he was on a shorter sentence back then. And um, we shared the same lawyer, Alan Simpson. And uh -huh. I knew when those guys invited me to start working out with them, I was in with a good crew and we, we really got along. Yeah, one, you made the, I, you made I, the right I, I relationship. A, I did a Locked Up Abroad episode, right? I don't know if you've ever seen him on National Geographic. And two or three years ago, 
Bruno, who was an enforcer for Little Italy, that's what we called them, in Sheriff Joe Arpaio's jail, he saw it and he contacted me. And I've interviewed him several times on my channel now. He's from uh, New York and all that stuff. And um, he was like, yeah, I was asking about Wildman. He's like, yeah, everyone, you know, had a lot of respect for Wildman. He was a maniac. He was a one-man machine. He was just so unpredictable. So I was really lucky because people say, Sean, how the hell did you survive this place? You know, with these neo-Nazi gangs and all this. All this mayhem around you. Every day, heads getting bashed against toilets, bodies getting thrown around. Yeah. Saw a guy with his leg pointing in the completely wrong direction. Um, and it was because Wildman was in there with me. So we go to Catholic Mass, and Bruno sat on one side. We're on the back row. Wildman sat on the other. They meet for the first time. They shake hands so powerfully. I'm in the middle. I almost fly out of my seat. <laughs> now, now, what happened was the, um, the priest... He was giving a sermon and he started, um, you know, telling everybody that his, that his mum was seriously ill and she was very old. And um, half, of, half the people in there were crying. It was really sad. Yeah. But um, I, I saw the power of the Italian mafia basically extend into the jail system with my own eyes. I thought that stuff only happened in the movies, Michael, until yeah. I saw it with my own eyes. Yeah, we, we knew how to move around during that time uh, for some reason, you know. And uh, listen, you know, I, ask, I get asked all the time, you know, the scene in Goodfellas when Henry Hill and Paulie were in there and they were getting... I said, look, it's not quite that good, but we had it, we had it okay. I, we had it better than the rest. Let's put it that way. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I've got some exciting news to announce. Michael Francis is coming back to tour the UK in 2024. The remade Mantor, the Michael Francis story. Michael Francis, once named one of the 50 most significant mob bosses in the USA by Fortune magazine, and a former member of the notorious Colombo crime family, will take you deep into the world of organized crime, sharing captivating tales and insights into the Mafia's past, present, and future. Join us for an unforgettable evening with Michael Francis, the original Goodfella, as he exclusively sits down with myself, Sean Atwood. With me as the host, there's going to be a no-holes-barred exploration of Michael Francis's life, including his numerous arrests and jury trials that ultimately led to his pleading guilty to a federal racketeering charge, a 10-year prison sentence, and $15 million in restitution. You will have the unique opportunity to ask questions during an audience Q&A session, making this event a must-see for true crime enthusiasts and anyone curious about the underworld. Don't miss this explosive In Conversation with Michael Francis. Live on stage in the UK, this exclusive in-person event will be held in various locations in the UK, Ireland and Scotland. Link in the description box below this video if you want to grab yourself a ticket. Back to the podcast. Cheers. Sheriff Opio would periodically come in the jail and you would know he had entered the jail because the walls would start shaking. People are banging on the tables, banging on the walls. You wouldn't eat this crap. Would you feed this crap to your family, Sheriff Joe Opio? Blah, 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 blah. So, you know, it, it was all front, but it, it, it created an extremely dangerous environment. It wasn't just the drug and gang infested mayhem, Michael. It was the staff and it came down from the top. National Geographic researched the death rate at that jail and 62 people died 
around the time I was there over a five-year period, many of them at the hands of the guards, and people can Google this. I walk in redemption. Yeah, we, we knew how to move around during that time uh, for some reason, you know, and... Uh, Listen, you know, I, ask, I get asked all the time, you know, the scene in Goodfellas when Henry Hill and Paulie were in there and they were getting, I said, look, it's not quite that good, but we had it, we had it okay. I, we had it better than the rest. Let's put it that way. So I was getting sweated early on because an article came out in the Phoenix New Times about my drug empire. It said the evil empire, English Sean. And um, people then started sweating me to bring drugs in. These neo-Nazi guys were like, you've got connections. Have you, you know, your girlfriend bring drugs in? So I was getting worried. But what happened was, it, there was a race riot. So there was four gangs. There was the head of the whites, head of the blacks, head of the Mexicans, head of the Mexican-Americans. Head of the whites at that time was a cocky guy. And his attitude went through the roof when this cage fighter called Gravedigger moved in. And he was using him as an enforcer. Gravedigger had a tattoo of the devil on his chest as a puppet master. Mm. And the guards had been watching him and making bets on fights. And he was just pinning people down in wrestling locks and chiseling their faces in and leaving them in pools of blood. So he shows up in our pod. And then the head of the whites gets cockier and cockier. So we're all out for breakfast one morning. The head of the blacks uh, is out there. And I call him Smackdown. He never lost a fight. And the head of the whites said something rude to him. And the head of the black said, hey, punk ass white boy, who you call in this? And then he called the head of the white a punk ass bitch, which is fight on, on the spot or else you're going to get rolled up. So what happened was they went into a cell under the stairs. The head of the blacks, it was a trained fighter, smashed the shit out of this guy. Really? He ran out of, he ran out of, the, of the, um, the cell into a pole and banged this thing, his head on it, sat down at the table with the whites and thought that was the end of the matter. Now, everybody in the pod then is like, go back in, go back in. And the, the, the guy, the cage fighter guy, he was like six and a half foot almost. He look, just looks over the head of the whites and goes, you need to go back in, Wood. And the head of the whites said, I went in, I fought, he won, it's over. And then and the, and the cage fighter just stood up and just towered above him. And he goes, you need to go back in now or else you're going to have to roll up. So he knew what time it was. He went back in, he got smashed again. <laughs> and um, the cage fighter took over as the head of the whites. But that head of the blacks, he was bullying members of all of the races. I mean, this was a jail where you couldn't eat the food. There was two meals a day. Green bologna and moldy bread was the breakfast. Yeah. Evening meal was a mystery meat slop called Red Death that sometimes had a dead rat in it. So basically, your 20 to $30 a week commissary, that was what kept you alive. Yeah. And the head of the blacks came in my cell one day, and he's like trying to sweat me for a Snickers bar. And I'm like, I'm going to starve if I give this up, dog. Um, he went in the end, but he, he had been bullying people of all races. So all three races got together and made a decision. He said, look, what we're going to do is, because he's such a good fighter, each race is going to send a torpedo into his cell when he's on his own to smash him and get rid of him. 
and we're going to have extra torpedoes on the upper tier just in case any of his torpedoes try and get in to back him up. So there's a white torpedo and there was a Chicano and there was a Mexican-American. So I remember the day clearly now. I'm on the phone to my girlfriend. Most people are downstairs in the day room, 45-man pod, little table on the wall, steel octagonal tables bolted to the floor. Um, the blacks are slapping the dominoes down. Uh, some people are watching the TV. And you know when shit starts to happen, the mood switches. Yeah. And, and these three guys go in. Now, I later learned what happened was the wood guy, he was an old cowboy, and he grabs SmackDown in a headlock. But because SmackDown was a trained fighter, he just sandwiched him against the wall, put his head forward, flipped his head back, and instantly broke his nose. Mm. The other guys are pummeling him, pummeling him, pummeling him. Next thing, all the blacks hear the commotion. They start to run up the stairs. And then all hell breaks loose. People are grabbing mops and brooms and doing ninja moves. There's this huge battle on the stairs. There's this massive guy. He, he just comes down the stairs like a bowling ball and just knocks everybody off the stairs. I'm on the phone with my girlfriend. I look over at the fish bubble. There's two guards on duty. They're supposed to wait for backup before going into a situation. But they were particularly tough guards on duty that day one of them had a serious reputation he put on a spacesuit he grabbed a fire extinguisher sized canister of chemical spray and he's coming down the fishbowl next thing the sliding door opens and he just comes running in and just starts blasting everybody by now i've got up the stairs and i'm in the cell the pepper sprays in my nose i'm in snots running the water's running down my face i had an old timer cellmate and he's like look what you got to do is wrap a wet towel around your head so it, you know so it doesn't get in your eyes anyway they went to the cell where by now only the head of the blacks and the white torpedo were left in it and they were still fighting and they just opened up spraying 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 and they were still fighting blind when the fight had ended the white guy came out first his nose was pointing over here and he said in a polite cowboy twang do you mind if I fix my nose before you put the handcuffs on? And the guards are just looking at him and he just <laughs> ah. puts his nose back into place. The head of the blacks came out next and he didn't have a scratch on him. And he was like, I'm going to get all y'all for that three-on-one bullshit when I get out the hole. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what it was like in there. But after that race riot, the guys who were sweating me to bring drugs in, they got moved. So that um, threat to me ended. And it, it was the Italian mafia came in and took over after that. Well, you know, Sean, it's, it's crazy. When I was doing federal time, I was in Lompoc Federal Prison when the state came to pick me up to try to indict me three days before the statute of limitations expired in the state for the same crime that I was already doing a parole violation for. They just tried to add on. So when they, the state comes to pick me up, I'm in R&D, and I knew, the, you know, I knew the CO pretty well. And he says, Michael, you ever been to L.A. County Jail? I said, no, that's one I missed. You know, mostly my stuff was in New York. He said, well, I'm going to do you a big favor right now. He says, because that's Animal House. I said, what's that? So when the guys, the sheriffs came in, he said, listen, this is a very important federal prisoner. We want him back here exactly the way we're sending him to you. And he took photos of me right then there. He says, I'm documenting this. And I'm saying, man, where the hell are they sending me, right? 
So when they, because of that, they put me in lockdown. I was on death row. I was there with the Menendez brothers, the same tier that OJ later came in on. Uh, everybody was facing life without or the gas chamber. And then there was me on a parole violation. But after walking me through the hospital and going through all that stuff and then being in a library and getting some stuff up there, the, uh, uh, they did me a big favor. You know, L.A. County was probably the same as you described. So what I'm, all you young people, all you young hoodlums out there that are watching this, okay, I hope you're hearing that. You don't ever want to end up in a state jail or a county jail, I should say, because, you know, if you survive the experience, you'll be uh, very fortunate without coming out with some real big scars or coming out at all. Anyway, so that, that was crazy. So now, what happens now? When did you get out of there? When did you, did you ever meet up with uh, Sheriff Arpaio? So, Sheriff Arpaio would periodically come in the jail. Now, on the news clips, he's got adoring inmates around him. He's got them, on, he's got them like um, digging graves for people who, who are indigent and picking up trash on the side of the roads in black and white stripes. And they're all like, yeah, Sheriff, you've saved my life. I'm off the drugs. You know, your program, you know, it, it really works. Reality is... As soon as he came in the jail, he was a tiny little man surrounded by a huge goon squad. And you would know he had entered the jail because the walls would start shaking. People are banging on the tables, banging on the walls. You wouldn't eat this crap. Would you feed this crap to your family, Sheriff Joe Arpaio? Blah, 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 blah. So, you know, it, it was all front, but it, it created an extremely dangerous environment. It wasn't just the drug and gang infested mayhem, Michael. It was the staff and it came down from the top. National Geographic researched the death rate at that jail and 62 people died around the time I was there over a five year period. Many of them at the hands of the guards and people can Google this, Scott Norberg, um, Brian Crenshaw was a blind prisoner, failed to produce his ID for the evening meal. Guards pulverized him. He went into a coma and he died over a month later. Scott Norberg, mentally ill man, uh, wandering the neighborhood. They started to beat him up. And a female guard said, stop beating him, he's turned blue. And they pushed her off, they kept beating him. The inmates are yelling, why are you beating him? He's already dead. And they were like a pack of wolves, just they couldn't stop themselves still beating the corpse. And it's like something just takes over that side of the brain when the violence kicks in. And they, they can't stop themselves from beating a, a man who's turned blue. It's off the scale. So we started, because all these things were going on, I was writing home in letters to my family. And this is how my internet presence started, Michael, in 2004. We started a blog. I was moved a year later. I went for a bail reduction. They doubled it to 1.5 million. So I was moved to maximum security where I was living with the cockroaches. And I've got endless stories about them. My family... There was a blog written by a guy called Salem Pax. This is when blogs were just starting. So my aunt would come and smuggle my writing out of the maximum security Madison Street Jail and type them up, email them up to my family in Cheshire near Liverpool. And they put them on, online as a blog, John's Jail Journal, J-O-N, so people wouldn't know it was me. All those entries are still timestamped. Really? So my journeys, yeah, all my journeys documented going back almost 20 years. But that, that blog went on to attract international media attention to the conditions in the Mad Madison Street Jail. And in the uh, work we were doing with other organizations, such as Mothers Against Ohio, 
That jail was closed down a couple of years later. Sheriff Joe Arpaio was indicted because he was a big-time racist for racial profiling. Um, And he was looking at spending six months in his own jail, but he he actually got pardoned. But he did get kicked out. He got pardoned, yeah. He did get kicked out eventually, um, which which is a good thing. But but I spent 26 months in there before I got uh, sentenced to nine and a half years. I was looking at a maximum 200-year sentence. Well, I got to tell you, you know, I know Arpaio was, you know, uh, parading around on, on, in the media as this social justice warrior really tried to clean up his image, that he was tough on crime, but, you know, obviously he didn't portray himself the way he really was. And then he does get indicted finally. And if you had anything to do with that, that's great because certainly a lot of people would appreciate that because a lot of people knew exactly who he was, you know, from the inside. And when Trump pardoned him, there was a lot of controversy about that. I mean, you know, because people knew who he really was all about. But, you know, that's just evil, Sean. You know, that's just evil. It's something a guy like that should never be in, in that position. Never. You know, just a bad person. But anyway, you survived it. You end up with nine and a half years. Did you do the nine here in the States? Did you do your time here? So, so the lawyer that I shared with our friend in the Italian Mafia was actually recommended to me by La Eme, the New Mexican Mafia, mm-hmm. who schooled me on legal etiquette. They said, if you ever get in trouble, serious trouble, this guy's going to cost some money, but he's a loophole lawyer, mm. and he will do the business for you. So I'd flown people over from the UK and put money in their names, thinking I wouldn't have to contact my mum and dad for money. But the cops had put a virus in my computer, and they took all the money, so when I was arrested, I had to turn to my parents with the name of that lawyer. They remortgaged the house, 100000 and through a loophole for first-time nonviolent drug offenders, he managed to get me what's called a half-time release on the balance of my nine-and-a-half-year sentence, whereby after my 26 months back time in the Maricopa County Jail system, by the time I finished my DOC time, I'd only serve just under six years. Hmm. Wow. So that, 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 was, that was a good move, hiring that attorney. I'd still be in prison now, Michael, if we hadn't got him. Yeah. I, now, are you, um, are you prohibited from coming to the States? You can't Part come of my back plea here. bargain is I'm banned for life from America. And is there no, um, there's no way around that now? Is there an appeal for that in any way? I mean, if, if you agree to it in an appeal, that doesn't mean that it's ironclad. There still could be another loophole to get you out of that. You've got to get some kind of presidential pardon, which costs millions. But I was contacted by someone about doing a sit-down with Sammy the Bull because I've never met him. And uh. they wanted me to come to America to do that. But it was discussed that we could actually go to some island off Canada or something like that. But it never panned out. So I don't think I, there's a, I stand a chance of getting back into America. I'd love to speak to the school kids. I speak to the school kids here you know, to restore my karma for the harm I caused bringing drugs into America. But it doesn't look likely. Well, you know, Sammy's on lifetime parole, too. But yeah, I mean, you guys couldn't meet in a neutral place. I don't, he has a lot of travel restrictions. I don't know if he would be allowed to come into the UK. I haven't spoken to him about that. Uh, but he's got restrictions also, you know, because of the lifetime parole. But yeah, it would be a great sit down, the two of you. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that, I'd love, to, I'd love that, to, uh, to monitor that in some way. I should talk to Sammy about it. Maybe we can set it up <laughs> if he'd be interested in it. 
Yeah, because Sammy a while ago put out a video saying, I've never met out when he's full of baloney. Um, but that's, be- that's because he was tricked into doing it. And his son was the one who was running it at the street level. That yeah. ecstasy ring was started by a guy called Mike Papa. And he brought Karen and Gerard Gravano into it. And there was a time in the jail when Gerard was, um, he popped up in the Towers jail. This was our first year. And the guards thought it would be fun when we were all going to court to change Gerard Gravano to Wildman. Oh, did he? <laughs> Wildman's looking at me. Wildman's looking at me like, do you want me to do him in? And I, I said, no, I said, no, Peter. I said, what we need to do is sit down with him because it's going to be a long night getting to court. They wake you up in the evening and you're, you're awake all night before yeah. the next day's court. So we were sat with Gerard all night. And I said to Wildman, we need to talk to him about his case. They were arrested a year before us. Mm-hmm. and find out what legal tricks and, and stuff they've been going through with the prosecutor. So we had a good night with Gerard that night, and he was telling us he was ahead of the curve what legal tricks they were pulling. Um, in, that, in their case, most of the, I think all of their co-defendants ended up rolling over. Yeah. And props, props to Gerard as well. He was a champion arm wrestler in Towers Jail. Very powerful young man. He, he is, and uh, I like Gerard a lot. You know, he's he's a really good guy. And sometimes when he has these little entanglements with his dad, he'll call me up, hey, Mike, what am I going to do about my father and this and that? You know, lovingly, you know, in a nice way. But, yeah, I, I really got to like Gerard a lot. He's uh, he's a good, I say a good young man. He's a lot younger than me. But, yeah, he, he's a good guy. Stand-up kid all the way, for sure, you know. And uh, I, I, watched, I watched your interview with Karen. I'd love to interview Karen as well. She's got a hell of a story. I can't imagine... What what it's like to be growing up when your father is, you know, in, in such a position where there's a lot of homicides going on. You know what, Sean, I want to tell you something. I've done a, a number of interviews. Karen was probably uh, one of my favorite because she was so real, so honest, you know, just, you know, and I, I get so mad when people attack her for silly things, nonsense things. It's so, it's so wrong to be doing that. You know, the woman went through a lot, you know, she really did and loves her dad, of course, but she was very honest about the relationship, you know, and of course, I related to that in a different way because I grew up with my father. But uh, yeah, you know what? They're two terrific uh, people, both Karen and Gerard. You know, Sammy should be proud of them both. and I know he is really. And, you know, Sammy's doing, you know, he's he's doing different things. And, you know, he's. I, what I like about him, he tries not to get involved in any of the nonsense on YouTube. And, you know, we all got to deal with it. You know, I, I just had a, a flare up. You know, I, I very rarely, if ever, respond to anything. But there was one guy that got my got me a little bit. He said something about my father and I jumped out at him. Uh, and that'll be it. I'm not going to go into any further. But this YouTube spot has become a crazy genre with with all this stuff. I got to tell you, it really is. But uh Sammy stays above it as best he can. He really does. But, you know, this is, uh, listen, we're going to, I think we're going to have a part three to this, uh, Sean, because really there's, there's a lot more to come and we could be here for the next three, four hours. And maybe when we're on tour, you know, and we do a Q&A, we'll go back and forth with, with some of this stuff. Because, you know, I, I, I got a lot of stories, too, that I haven't told about prison. Because when I'm on stage, there's only so much you can get into. But it might be a good idea in the Q&A when we get, you know, some good uh, dialogue going back and forth. I'm sure you have more stories. I have a bunch. It'll be a lot of fun. Michael, I think you should really bring in some of your prison stories to the UK. They would love that for the tour. And if people are watching this, links for the tour, it's on Eventbrite. It's in the description box. I'm going to be hosting. 
It's going to be fantastic like it was last year, so please come along. And if I could just give a little teaser for part three, Michael. So when Wildman was sentenced, he goes off to the Arizona Department of Corrections and they come to him, the AB guys, and they say, you know, what are your charges? And he says, I'm having a bad day. F off. I just want to go to sleep. And they say, no, you don't understand who we are. You have to tell us your charges. And he just knocks the guy out. And he goes to sleep. <laughs> so, so, so then, you know, they're, they're saying to him, they're saying to him, you don't know what you've done. We're going to find out who you are. You're in trouble, man. Crazy English, el loco. And um, when they come back, when they've researched who he is, they offer him the job of the guy he knocked out. Wow. <laughs> Well, that's a good intro into part three. So we're gonna, we, and, and there will be a part three. We're going to have to do that. And of course, we'll continue some of this stuff on the tour. And I just want to let everybody know, I know you're going through some rough weather because I keep up with the weather over there. It's been a little bit rough. When I was there last time, my, myself, my wife, my daughter, we were there for six weeks. There was only one day of rain, and it only lasted a half day. Every day was sunshine. As a matter of fact, you had a heat wave. I remember some of the restaurants were closing because they said it was hot. So hopefully we do the same when we come back in March. We bring some good weather. And if we don't, I'm telling you, we're going to bring some good time, good stories, and we're going to have a great time on the tour. I can't wait to walk the streets again and uh, just meet everybody. So looking forward to it. So you and I will be in good contact between now and then. Uh, I think I might be coming over a little bit earlier. We won't reveal why, you know, because we got something big going on and, and people will hear about it. And uh, it's going to be great. So, my friend, thank you very much for this sit down. And uh, I'll be seeing you soon. Okay, so there you have it. I want to tell you young people this, that are on the street doing those silly things. He's not exaggerating. County jail is no picnic, and if you can survive that experience, you're pretty fortunate and not come out of there with some real scars or come out of there at all. I know. I spent 11 months in L.A. County. I spent time in county jails in New York. Not a good experience. Trust me. Do the right thing. But, you know, Sean had some uh, crazy experiences. He talked about the Italians. He talked about the blacks, the Mexicans. It's a whole different experience in county jail. You're better off in prison than you are in the county. He spent 26 months there. I spent on and off uh, probably about 14 months in county jail. No picnics. So for you young people out there, my message is to you, avoid it. Don't get anywhere near it. Do the right thing. You don't need that in your life. If you're looking for a gift, my new book, Sit Downs with Gangsters, is available worldwide on Amazon. We've interviewed over a 1,000 people now, and we selected 10 of the hardest-hitting stories to go in this book. Each chapter features the story of one of our podcast guests. Those stories are Shane Taylor, Knife Maniac's Redemption, John Elite, Mafia Hitman for the Gambino Crime Family, Joey Barnett, 35 years in UK prison, Ian Blink McDonald, £6 million bank robber, Chet Sandu, Asian smuggler in Spanish Supermax, John Lawson, the hit team commander, David Macmillan, international smuggler's tie death row prison escape, John Abbott, San Quentin Prison Shootout and Escape. Michael Francis, Colombo Crime Family Capo, portrayed in Goodfellas. And Wildman, English Enforcer in Arizona Prison. Link in description box on YouTube, available worldwide on Amazon. Also, my next book, Untouchable Jimmy Savile, is getting published in December 2023. So check that out as well. It will be available worldwide on Amazon. 
Thank you for listening. Cheers.